real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, Captivate.fm. Are you considering starting your own podcast? The first thing you are going to need is a podcast host. The podcast host I use and recommend is Captivate because they focus on growing your audience and show. Some of their features include unlimited podcasts and storage, web player calls to action, one-click sponsor kits, private feeds, promo links, link shorteners, detailed analytics, integrations, and more. Plans start at just $17 a month. Start your free seven-day trial at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash get captivated. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash get captivated. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today has been at the forefront of brand building, product development, and organizational transformation. She brings a strong track record of partnering with CEOs and CMOs to drive significant increases in shareholder value for numerous Fortune 500 companies, as well as helping younger brands and startups crystallize their brand positioning to accelerate growth. Please welcome to the show, Grace Ann Bennett. I know I kind of covered a little bit, but can you give us a little bit of your background and story and how you got started in this industry? Uh, I have been in this business of building brands for, I, I stopped counting the decades after two, but it's three plus decades. And I got started, I grew up in Southern California, right by a very fancy mall. Everybody was buying different jeans and had fancy cars. And I'd always be looking at like the psychology behind why people picked one pair of jeans versus another, drove one car versus another. People made, they communicated with their purchases and the brands that they bought. And so I was like, wow, there's a really interesting psychology to branding. Even if you drink Coke versus Pepsi, I was just looking at that all the time and thinking about what that actually meant. I studied marketing in college, but I quickly in New York, I found a job at an international marketing consulting firm where they would do brand positioning for big brands. And I ended up on this project. I was, I think, 23, 24, and I went around the world to reposition Pepsi Cola globally and did all this research and tried to figure out the psychology of Pepsi drinkers versus Coca-Cola drinkers and what made Pepsi different. And they didn't have a unified campaign, whereas Coca-Cola did global advertising. And so I presented to the global CMO when I was 24 years old, my ideas for this global brand platform for Pepsi-Cola. And the BBDO did an ad with, I think, Paula Abdul. And it was like kind of this geek chic. She went from like a school teacher and then started dancing or something, but it was kind of tapping into the smarter, geekier side of the Pepsi independent drinkers versus Coca-Cola. And so I got hooked. And so I've been kind of working with big brands and startups and helping them figure out what their brand is all about and how to translate that in culture and translate that to selling more products ever since. So, but that's how I got started. And here I am still doing it still today because everybody needs to figure out what they stand for. It's really fun, interesting stuff. Yeah, that is interesting. I've never even really thought about that before, like about figuring out 
why people choose certain things over other things. What are some interesting things that you discovered in that process or of figuring out why someone would choose Pepsi over Coke, for example, or like I choose Southwest Airlines over American now. I mean, I choose Nike over Adidas, Apple over Android. So, I mean... Yeah, well, I think Southwest Airlines is a really good one versus American to kind of think of the psychology of that one. So everybody buys things on emotion and then they post-rationalize their purchase. So you think about what is the emotional hook that you have and then you just, if you know that about human beings that were buying on emotion and then we're looking for an intellectual alibi or we post-rationalize a purchase, if you know that, then you're always thinking what's the emotional hook? So the word emotion is e motion to move. So you cannot make a decision without emotion. So first you just realize this is an emotional game, not a rational game. And then for Southwest Airlines, they are where they have the heart in their logo with the stripes in it. They're kind of the anti-American Airlines. American Airlines, they have, what would say, Southwest has heart and American Airlines, maybe they tout themselves as the best and premium Patriot Airlines, right? With a name like American And Southwest is kind of going for people in terms of they want to connect and they're more heart-centered and you're going to feel like warm and fuzzy when you get on the plane. You're going to feel like you're part of a community. They're from an archetypal analysis. I do all this Jungian analysis and I use archetypes to figure out brand strategy. So figuring out what their brand archetype is. And they're the every man or every person archetype Southwest is. And so that is like tapping in into making everybody feel special. Mm. So that's, yeah. And then that goes into all their iconography and how you feel. And do you feel special on Southwest? Do you feel warm and fuzzy a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I guess I like the fact that everyone's in coach basically. So there's no hierarchy or whatever. And they are funny that usually the, the flight attendants when they do their spiel and they're more affordable. I guess those are the main reasons. Yeah. So that's, that's right. interesting. I hadn't thought about the heart yeah. part. but Next time you look, look at their logo inside the plane. They have a heart with the stripes. And that's because they know that they're about kind of connecting with the human in all of us. And th- that actually goes to the prices. So that's a rational thing. Okay, it's less money. But you could technically probably fly on American Airlines for the same price if you plan it properly. I don't think that you're going to be actually less money on Southwest. But it feels more egalitarian. And it feels fairer because there's no first class. So you feel like we all belong together because they don't separate people. But you probably could get a ticket for the same price, if not less, on American. But you feel like they're more fair with the prices and they're taking care of everybody that way. And so that's the feeling part of it, even if you might ultimately buy in price. Mm-hmm. So I guess when someone is building their own brand and trying to differentiate themselves from another. What are some like key things to keep in mind as far as how people think in determining what brand to go with? One thing you can think about if you're building a brand is how do you want people to feel? So you think, okay, I want people to feel a certain way with my brand. I've thought about this. You can brand a feeling. A lot of it is a feeling. So like Volvo is, you know, you feel safe right? And like, even if they have the same exact car as BMW, BMW might feel invigorated or you might feel powerful, right? In a BMW, but you feel safe in a Volvo, even if it's the same exact car and the same exact kind of horsepower and features and benefits. Everything they do with Volvo is they think about how the seats hug you in a certain way. And if you get in a crash, you're you're not going to die, you know, but 
it's a different feeling. So if you think about you as a brand and you're, you're building your brand, you're like, how do I want people to feel? Do I want them to feel loved? Do I want them to feel free? Do I want them to feel pure? Do I want them to feel you know different types of things? That's one way to start to think about how to separate your brand and think about those emotions or how do you actually describe your brand in a sentence, what you're all about? What's your why? Why do you exist? We exist. So if you think about you, Sarah St. John, why do you exist? And you might have one sentence of what it means for you to be here. And so everybody should have their why statement. And if they can't figure out, like, it shouldn't be, I want to make money or I want to work from home or I really like making bathing suits. That's fun for me. No, you have to be a why for the actual customer. Why do you want to help someone? So if your why needs to be not about you, your why needs to be how you're going to make the world a better place in some kind of way or how you're going to help people in some kind of way. So if you get to that why, then not your why, the why of your customer. And then you start to think about how you want to feel, how you want to make people feel when they're in your orbit of your brand or why they want to reach for you versus someone else. So just interrogate yourself. I know I've done this before in past businesses, like with, I had a photography business and tried to differentiate themselves just by price. So I was charging really low or whatever. And someone who else was in the wedding business, but on the DJ side, he was like, no, you don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes people look at price and this is, I think pricing is really tricky. And so if you have someone on pricing on your podcast, I would listen I had a client, all they do is help companies figure out their pricing strategy. It's really tricky, but pricing communicates something. And so pricing is almost advertising. So if you price yourself at a certain really low, if you go to a shelf, I don't know if you've done this before, you go and you're like trying to buy like an olive oil, right? You're like, okay, I need to buy an olive oil. And I'm at the grocery store and I'm looking at all the olive oils and they're all the same ounces. You might be thinking, Okay, do I want the best olive oil, the most expensive, the medium, best, the in the middle olive oil, or the lowest quality olive oil, just based on the price alone, even if that has nothing to do with the quality of the olive oil. So they might be pricing, the price you might say, or if you're a wedding photographer and you're more expensive, they're like, oh, this is the best wedding photographer. And it's really tricky because I do the same thing as a consultant trying to figure out my pricing. And it's really hard. Because I've been going after bigger clients. Part of it is your value, but part of that is your value within the context of what people can pay. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm not tapping into my worth. I'm not charging enough. I'm undervaluing myself. It's like, well, you may be undervaluing yourself or you might be selling to the wrong people that can't pay that much. So if you're a wedding photographer and you're selling to people that just got out of college and they might be working at Starbucks and they don't have a lot of money, you could be worth a million dollars if you were the photographer for Oprah's wedding, but you're selling to someone who just got out of college, doesn't have any money. It doesn't matter your pricing strategy to that person. You're not going to be ever be able to make that much money. So that's the kind of thing I also, because I listened to all this stuff like, know your worth, know your worth, raise your prices, blah, blah, blah. Yes, raise your prices, but also think about who's your audience and you got to have that match because some people just can't pay what you're worth. And so you're going at the wrong audience. That's a good point. Yeah, think about your audience first and then kind of determine pricing around that. Okay, I hadn't thought of that before, but that makes sense. But some people get like one part of the equation and they get really indignant or upset they're not making what they're worth and like that person can't pay you what you're worth when someone says you're worth what someone will pay you so you have to put yourself into the game of some of these bigger clients and see if you can actually compete at that game and then see what and then you actually can determine 
you can see if you're actually worth it. You got to test it out. Go for someone who can pay more money, that has more options, that can pick more people. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky game. And as a consultant, right, so now I'm working with a multi-billion dollar company. They can afford what I can bring from a branding standpoint has more value because that's going to translate over the entire globe, huge marketing organization. And if I even tilt their brand value, or I help them increase their brand value by even 2%, that's millions and millions of dollars that I've helped them achieve. So I'm going to be worth more in that context. But if I'm going after someone who is just starting their business, they're not making very much money and I help them make a little bit more money. I'm not as valuable and my services aren't as valuable to them because they can't afford it. And it's just going to be a little Delta. So you just got to play around with thinking about who you're actually talking to in your audience. Mm -hmm. So how does one raise their brand value? Well, one thing is I'm a big proponent of design. So I think a lot of people, like you think about Apple and you said you liked Apple products versus an Android. They have elegant design. The user experience is really elegant. It looks really pretty in your hands and just everything works well. And you pay more for that because there's a design value and it just is higher. So it's the same thing with, If you're an entrepreneur and you're a consultant, if you go to my website, that is, I designed that because I'm a brand expert and that website better be good. So if they, and they're looking at me saying, and I always, I used to tease when I was working in big advertising agencies and we put together proposals, I'm like, this needs to look expensive. So if we would charge when I was in an ad agency to do what I do just to these bigger clients, we wouldn't do anything for less than $250,000 to do a brand strategy at Ogilvy and Mather, this was like our base price. So it was like that proposal and how we put together our thinking and how we draw out the process better look like is worth $250,000. And it's just on a keynote presentation. So it better be good design. So again, also to boost your value, be clear with your messaging so people can see, okay, these people have their act together. And then also you can boost your brand value by telling the stories of different people that you worked with to say, pulling together your case studies. Because a lot of times, like when I got started, I had no case studies. I had case studies from old agencies, but I couldn't like claim them as my own. So people were like, well, what can you do? And I'm like, well, I people paid me. We had consulting projects where there were a million dollars to solve their brand problem, right? If it's a big global company working for Ogilvy and Mather, you know, or some big agencies, but that wasn't my client. I didn't do it for them within Playbook Studio. So I worked a lot on my case studies and put together the whole story of what I did for someone else. And then I'll send that to someone and I'll say, oh, well, if you're interested in what I can do for you, here's what I did for these two companies. And I'd send them the case study. It looked really pretty. And then that would boost my value because they think, okay, I can trust this person. Someone else use them. I can see the results. And then it starts to up your brand value and up the prices you can charge and people have trust and confidence. How does a case study differ from a testimonial? I guess it's probably more detailed or as a testimonial might just be something that someone says, whereas a case study is actually almost a presentation. Right. Yep. So the testimonies are good too. So testimonies, I put the testimonials at the end of the case study. And so I have this approach, a storytelling framework called STAR approach. So you think about, I've trained different companies on how to rewrite their stories based on the narrative. So maybe they were confused about what their brand is all about. They didn't have their why. They didn't know what they stood for. So I help them with all the brand strategy work. And then I help them rewrite all of their case studies or their customer stories or success stories through that narrative. So it clicks each time. So the story is consistent. 
But the STAR approach is something that anybody can do. You can do it yourself. You say, okay, here's a situation. It was like a problem or a challenge or what have you. Do the situation. Then you do the T is task. This is like what I needed to achieve. This is what I needed to help them solve. And then A for STAR is approach. This is how I approach solving the problem. And then R is results. So situation. So set this context, the background, what's going on. Then the task at hand, what I needed to help them achieve, the approach for doing that, and then the results. And sometimes the results are happy clients, and then you have a quote or testimonial here. And But if you think about that, even if someone's interviewing for a job or trying to get a client, think about that framework when someone asks them the question, even if they don't have a fancy case study, they should in their head have a star story. Oh, what's the situation? Oh, I was in this situation. I was a wedding photographer and I had, there was two days before the wedding because they're doing a shotgun wedding, but they wanted to be really nice. And they called me up and they needed super high-end wedding photography, but they needed really fast, right? But they wanted to be glamorous and we had two days to figure this out. So the task was to figure out how to photograph Graph this wedding is in the highest quality possible in two days. And I needed to, that was my task, high quality wedding photography. And I had a turnkey it and I, in two days, the approach is I didn't have the photograph equipment. I found a location scout and I found this film equipment that could, whatever you did to pull it off. And I got a team together, da, 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 da. That was my approach and how you were clever at creative at attacking the task. And then the results were blah, blah, blah. Bride and groom were super happy. We did this digital photo album that was upline and, you know, one week and they selected the photos and everybody was happy. They had this glamorous thing. They only had to spend $2,000. And that's interesting because I've heard about case studies, testimonials, uh, reviews. I'm just like, well, what's the difference? But that, so that helps. That makes sense. You just tell them a story. It doesn't have to be too long because people don't even really want to listen to a long one. And so when I do my case studies and I put them on online, I just make them look really good too because people want like a little blurb, but they're not even really reading very much. And they usually just kind of fast forward to the results. So also just be heavy up on the results. That's why probably the customer reviews, five-star reviews, the testimonials, that's why if you're not going to do anything and you're not going to tell the case story, people always jump to the results anyway. So that's why those are so popular. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So your business is Playbook Studio. It's playbook.studio. So what do you help people with or what is kind of that process that you go through? Usually I do kind of an in-depth analysis of talking to the stakeholders on the team. So that could be a solopreneur and talking to them. But then if it's a solopreneur, I usually talk to their clients and customers and different people that know the brand or interacted with the brand. So I do these one-on-one interviews and understand the brand and some of their challenges and their strengths through kind of this just interview process. That really helps. That's kind of like the brand psychology, putting the brand on the couch and all these different people. And you get all those different perspectives. But then I'll look at competitive analysis, different brands that are in their space to say, so if you're a frugalpreneur, like who else is talking about to entrepreneurs about how to do things for less money? And it's like, okay, there's all these different brands in your space and they look this way and they're talking about this. So you do a competitive analysis and figure out where is the white space? What do you do uniquely within that space so you can figure out how you can stand out, be differentiated, be relevant. So the whole competitive analysis, even look at adjacent spaces because maybe you want to go from being just about frugal entrepreneurship to something else. You want to change the category, broaden the category you're in. So I look at that in terms of 
do you want to shift the business you're in a little bit and see what that opportunity would be? I would look at your language around how you talk about yourself in all different aspects of your communication. And so I do that's where I do the archetypal analysis. Like, are you an everyman brand? Are you a hero brand? Are you a explorer brand? What is the truest vein of your storytelling framework that gets into this emotional narrative? So you can understand why people are drawn to you, or you can, if you can understand that storytelling framework from an archetypal standpoint, then you have better ways to choose language and figure out your emotional narrative. So I would do that also with my clients. And then I'd run a workshop. So I do a lot of these online workshops where it's two, three hour sessions and we do it on Zoom. And there's a lot of hacks with Zoom workshops. And what I love is like the chat feature in Zoom. So instead of like a whiteboard where people are writing on the whiteboard, they might have sticky notes. What I love is these workshops where people are chit-chatting in the side chat and you can download the transcript of the side chat. And so it's like you have a bunch of sticky notes and ideas. And a lot of sometimes the, the gems of I'll work them through my brand narrative framework through these workshops that I prepare. So it's almost like a guided storytelling exercise. And I guide them through who's their audience, what's their audience up against the problems that you're solving for them. I do all that kind of stuff, but this chat thing from just a hack or a trick to being really efficient, that's a really great way. And then I'll pull together from what they've told me. I actually, the people are telling me what the answer is. They just don't see it. So I always try to get to something surprisingly obvious where they go, aha, that's what I'm really about. I just never knew how to articulate it. I never knew how to nail it down. I didn't know how I related to my customers or why they reached for me. I help them like crystallize that And then once they have that, and Steve Jobs said, it's really, really, really hard to get to simple. But once you get to simple, you can move mountains. So what I try to get people to is that simple truth and understanding of their why so that they don't have to wander around. And then once they know what that is, they can get going. They can write all their marketing plans. They can build their website. They understand what logos work better for them. They can talk to different customers and everything becomes easier for them. I get them to the hard part is to get to easy. And then they then execution is, is a lot easier, but that's how I do it. But I do a lot of online workshops and stakeholder interviews through Zoom. Again, I also record all of them. I upload them to Teamy, which is a software where they can actually translate that. So you can even upload the video and then they do a automated AI transcript of the session. So then I have all these different notes and then I can also do my Zoom recording. I download that, upload that to Teamy. Then I have all the transcript of those results. I can highlight them, grab sound bites, and it, it helps me just have all the notes from all those digital meetings so I can actually get and do my work. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so if people want to learn more, they can go to playbook.studio. And I'm also going to have show notes at the com forward slash Grace Ann, and it'll have links to everything. Did you have any final words before we said goodbye? I mean, it's good to know. So for all, for all those people out there and all your frugalpreneurs starting businesses, I do think it's worth taking a step back and doing your own introspection and thinking about the kind of the emotional reason why people are gravitating to you and what is your purpose beyond trying to create a lifestyle that you want or building the money that you want or beyond like what you want, what do your customers want? Really look at everything through that lens and what's the story that you're telling and how you want to connect with them and not losing sight of that. Because once you have your purpose and your reason to exist beyond your own self-preservation or your own ambition or what you want, then I think people will be drawn to you because you're orientated towards them. So I guess that would be my advice. Know yourself. (laughs) Do some introspection. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that myself after 
this conversation has been insightful. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. And I, I, I'm impressed with all you're doing and building on your own. So thank you for the time to talk to me as well. Thank you. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.